Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. We're back to talk some hoops today. Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo made their preseason debut with the Bucks, and were about as impactful as you would expect them to be. We're going to break that game down. And then we're going to dive into two young players who've had great preseasons so far. Jonathan Kaminga is averaging 26 points per game for the Warriors, a team that desperately needs a forward who's ready to play, not just in the season, but in the postseason. So we're going to do a deep dive into Jonathan Kaminga's preseason what translates to what they need from him in the long run. And then Victor Wembenyama is putting up just absolutely staggering numbers so far in preseason as well. We're going to dive into his first two performances. And then we're back up to number two in our power rankings. The Milwaukee Bucks are up for, for a full season preview. So we're going to do a full breakdown of everything the Bucks did this offseason and what I expect to see from them this season as well. So jam-packed show. We're going to spend, be spending a lot of time on the Eastern Conference. You guys know the drill before we get started. We did actually just launch a new YouTube channel under Hoops tonight. So it would mean the world to me if you guys would take the time to hit that subscribe button. And let's try to grow that channel up to to some sort of cool, massive number. Let's go for it. And then uh, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, wherever you can find me under Jason Timpf. And then my podcast feed under Hoops tonight. And then last but not least, we need more mailbag questions. So keep dropping those under the YouTube comments. All right, let's talk some basketball. So um, it was interesting. The Bucks came out and we were all waiting for the Dame Giannis pick and roll, which we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today. We're going to talk a little bit about it in this particular breakdown. Then I'm going to do a deep dive into the schematics of the Dame Giannis pick and roll, all the different ways to guard it, why each one of those ways probably won't work, and everything entailing those two playing together when we get to the season preview. So stick around to the end of the episode for that. Uh, But I thought it was interesting that they actually opened the game with back-to-back post-ups for Giannis on the left block. He had that Kind of stepped through hook shot over Christian Wood, and then he had a turnaround fadeaway over his right shoulder that he missed. But what was interesting is they ran a screening action with Dame to get Giannis the ball on the block. Why is that important? That's an easy way to fight for easy post position. Now, you might say it's Christian Wood. Giannis probably doesn't need help getting deep post position, and that's true. But against certain matchups, especially fire hydrant forwards, right? Like big, strong. Imagine Grant Williams as an example, a guy that's had some success guarding Giannis in the past. Imagine a guy like that. It can be hard for Giannis to bully down to specific spots closer to the basket. So if you run a screening action with a guy like Dame that is impossible to help off of, it makes it so that that forward has to navigate that screening action before they can beat Giannis to that spot. It will help him catch deeper post position. I thought that was an interesting little wrinkle there that you saw right from the opening tip. Uh, The first pick and roll they ran on the left wing, Christian Wood and D'Angelo Russell both kind of bracket around Dame. Dame throws that easy pocket pass to Giannis rolling down the middle. The Lakers actually tagged two guys on the roller. And in the process, Rui Hachimura rotates down to Brook Lopez. You have two wide open shooters. 
You've got Jay Crowder on the right wing, who Giannis ended up making the pass to, and then you have an even better shooter who was even more wide open in the left quarter in Malik Beasley. That's just one action with one simple example of how much chaos it can cause for the defense. And it goes even further than that because Crowder misses the three. But on the possession, Brooke Lopez rolls to the basket to crash the offensive glass. But because Rui kind of rotated on that possession, he was out of position. Because AD was tagging the roller, he was out of position. So what did Brooke Lopez do? He just went right under the basket and boxed AD out, got an easy offensive rebound, and put it back in the basket. That, that's the kind of havoc that is caused when your defense gets put into rotation. We're going to talk about that specific concept a lot today, the concept of getting a defense into rotation and what that means for how much harder it is for them to do that job, especially when we get into the season preview. In the game, they ran a total of seven pick and rolls together, all in the first half, and here were the outcomes. They had that wide-open three for Crowder that led to the easy putback, which I just told you about. Second one on the left wing, Dame got doubled, so they just straight up doubled and, and trapped uh, uh, Dame out by the three-point line. Giannis rolled to the basket. When he rolled to the basket for like a post-up position, Dame hits him with the pass uh, at the block, and it's kind of like this weird possession where AD's pinned on his top side, in large part because Giannis was rolling to the basket unguarded, and Giannis kind of fumbled the ball and went up and dunked it. It was ugly. But it's two points, right? So we're at, we're through two pick and rolls, and we have four points already. Uh, the next one, Dame got fouled on a three pointer, and he made all three three point uh, all three free throws. Then we have a Dame missed pull up three. Then we had a Dame uh, he got downhill on Christian Wood and tried to do like a foul grifty kind of pull up jump shot that he missed. Then there was a play that Dame rejected the screen and got downhill, like just toasted uh, Torian Prince. And on the play, he had Brooke Lopez wide open in the corner, but he misread the rotation, and he actually ended up uh, kicking to Malik Beasley instead, who wasn't as open. It got rotated to Lopez, but the closeout opportunity was gone. Lopez ended up getting into the lane and missing like a little tough, like kind of like high push shot. Uh, but still, I mean, the action itself generated what it was supposed to generate, which was a straight line drive and help defense to make a read. Dame just missed the read. And then the last one, he split Christian Wood on a pick and roll. So Christian Wood showed and he split with the dribble, got downhill and made an and one layup and made the free throw. So he made some bad reads and missed all of his pull-up jump shots. And they still got 10 points out of seven Giannis Dame ball screens. So like, again, 10 points on seven ball screens and it didn't really go all that well and was still kind of sloppy. So like, again it's just going to be nearly impossible to guard. And again, I'm going to dive into the schematics of it later on in the show because I do think it's interesting because I've tried to think of any different way that you could guard it. Uh, different types of hedges versus high drop versus blitzing versus dropping versus uh, switching and all the different ramifications that can uh, come into play there. We are going to dive into that later on in the show. Giannis looked more, more or less like Giannis. He took five jumpers and made one of them. Uh, but he did make every other shot attempt he made, uh, mostly dunks, as per usual. I thought Pat Connaughton looked better at the two-guard spot than Malik Beasley. I think he's just a little bigger, a little better rebounder, and in general, just a more consistent shooter, something that we'll talk about. I covered Malik Beasley very closely with the Lakers last year, so we'll talk about that uh, when we get to the season preview. But I thought that that was a uh, – Pat Connaughton made four threes in the game at eight rebounds. I, th I think he just makes more sense in that two-guard spot in the long run, unless they have a trade in mind at some point down the road. Uh, and then Marjan Beauchamp had a really nice first half. He was out working Cam Reddish. There was a play where uh, he kind of crashed the glass out of the corner. Cam kind of chased him down under the basket, but then – uh, uh, Marjan just kept going kind of like in a, in a banana route around uh, to the front of the rim just by being a body perpetually staying in motion he ends up getting an offensive rebound put back he had a nice pull up jump shot off of a curl where his defender was in a trail position he got downhill made a little 15 footer and then there was a play later in the uh, first half where he uh, took a dribble handoff from Pat Connaughton and the Lakers botched the switch and both guys ran with Pat and he actually did a really nice job of looking down identifying that he was open seeing that he was in two point range but a long two and just took a little step back that not only set his rhythm but got him to a point where it was a higher value shot and he knocked down a three he's going to be a very important player for this Bucks team especially with some of the depth that they lost in the Drew Holiday trade uh, but overall I thought it was a really encouraging first performance 
for the Bucks. Uh, on the defensive end, obviously the talk was Dame on defense. What is he going to be able to accomplish compared to what Drew accomplished? And you saw some of the downsides of that early on. You saw Rui Hachimura attacking Dame in the post, and there was a play where he got a deep seal, and they were able to throw the pass over the top, and Rui got a dunk because Dame tried to front him. Um, and then there was a play where they double teamed Dame or d- double teamed uh, Rui on a Dame post up when Rui was attacking Dame. Rui made the skip pass that ended up working around back to Anthony Davis in rotation for an easy layup and one. So there's some things they're going to have to work on. Like, for instance, like if Dame is going to front the post, there has to be backside help, right? If you're going to double Dame in post-up situations, there's got to be really sharp rotations. Again, like a lot of people are going to hyper-focus on that. And like, here's what I would say. Dame is not the only basketball player in the league that Rui Hachimura or other big forwards around the league can post up. It's very nice that Drew was uniquely equipped to be able to kind of battle against that stuff, but he's unique in that sense. Every team in the league has those problems to some extent. Some sort of smaller player in the backcourt that if you post him up, you can have problems, right? Now, this particular Bucks team hasn't had that problem as much in years past, but this year that's something they're going to have to uh, sharpen up in their defense. They're going to have to have basically contingencies set up to make it so that they can come up uh, or make up for Dame's lack of size in specific matchups. Uh, overall, though, like I said, I thought it was very encouraging. On the Lakers front, another really solid performance from Anthony Davis. 16 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists with 0 turnovers, 2 steals, and 2 blocks in one half of play. Hard to do much better than that. Uh, another one of those plays that just kind of demonstrates how incredibly gifted Anthony Davis is defensively. Uh, Damian Lillard comes off a dribble handoff in the right corner. And he ends up kind of like right at uh, where the above the break line starts. And he appears wide open. If you freeze it, Dame has the ball and he's wide open. And Anthony Davis takes one step and rises up to contest and blocks a Damian Lillard pull-up three. I know the NBA GMs, for whatever reason, have it out for him. uh, But I still think he's the best defensive player in the league. And that was just an unbelievable, only only he can make that type of play performance from Anthony Davis. He is plus 25 in his shifts so far in preseason. He's been a positive against every team that he's faced, and his jumper looks great. Anthony Davis has taken 14 jump shots so far in preseason that have led to 19 points. That's 1.36 points per shot. Last year in the regular season, he was at 0.78. So he's almost twice as efficient so far in preseason with his jump shot as he was last season. Now again, small sample size, preseason, Obviously, like I wouldn't expect uh, 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 many players in the league to maintain that type of jump shot efficiency over the course of a season, but it's a really good sign that Anthony Davis has been working at uh, working on that specifically a lot this offseason. His release looks smoother. I think it's a very encouraging sign of what's to come because they need him to make those jump shots. One of our mailback questions later is involving LeBron's jump shot. And there's going to be some talk there, and and it does matter. But at the end of the day, to me, especially at this phase in his career, Anthony Davis and his over-the-top scoring is going to be the thing that kind of like separates their offense from what it can be to from what it was last year. Uh, he did hit a nice little step-back jump shot over Brooke Lopez. That kind of like over-the-top shot-making in particular is going to be super valuable for a Lakers team that struggled in the half court, especially in clutch situations last year in the postseason. Um Torian Prince as a starter is my last Lakers thing, and then we're going to move on to the young guys. So I was under the impression before the season, well, Jovan Buha told us in in the when he came on the show that he thought Rui Hachimura was the clubhouse favorite coming into preseason. Then after the start of camp and stuff, him and I were both leaning towards Jared Vanderbilt. But a couple things, Jared Vanderbilt's been a little hurt, and Rui Hachimura makes a lot of sense coming off the bench. And as a result of that, Torian Prince has gotten opportunity. And Torian Prince has been playing lights out in that starting three position. Now, here's the thing. It's all about synergy that's making this work, in my opinion, and the reason why I think he's got a chance to earn the spot. I don't think Torian does any one thing as well as Jared Vanderbilt does defensively on the perimeter or as Rui Hachimura can do as a, as a scorer in general with his physical tools, right? But he does a lot of things pretty well, right? And he's probably the best standstill jump shooter than out of those three guys. Here's the thing. In a lineup that's going to have Austin Reeves, a high-level shot creator, D'Angelo Russell, high-level shot creator, LeBron James, a high-level shot creator, and Anthony Davis, a high-level shot creator, you need a guy who's a specialist when it comes to knocking down 
spot-up three-point shots, right? Or making plays attacking closeouts. And then on the defensive end of the floor, he's not as good of a perimeter defender as Jared Vanderbilt, but he is a better perimeter defender than Ruby Hachimura. He's a little thinner, a little quicker with his feet, and better at navigating screens. And so, in a weird way, the it's it's less about which player's best out of those three guys and better about uh, and more about which player complements the the core four players more and it's clear that Torian Prince complements the core four Lakers starters at a re- really high level right now and i think as of right now it appears that he will be the starter on opening night at the small forward. And then here's the thing, that just opens up the ability to go to bench lineups that have Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura in them which takes even further to the concept that I've been talking about with the Lakers all preseason, which is about their depth and the advantage that that provides over the course of the 82. The ability to have guys out of the lineup and have your bench lineup still have guys that are high-caliber players, guys like Gabe Vincent who started on a finals team, guys like Rui Hachimura, who was a very important player on a conference finals team last year, right? Jackson Hayes is a better backup center than what they had last year. Jared Vanderbilt is one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. So you can kind of piece that together and see that just from the sheer standpoint of down-the-roster talent, they're in a better position than they were in years past. All right, so uh, a lot of talk in the preseason for Golden State about what they're going to do at the forward position, right? And we saw last year that Steve Kerr did not trust Jonathan Kaminga, but he did trust Moses Moody, especially towards the uh, latter portion of that Lakers series. He was playing solid point of attack defense, although he's committing a few too many fouls, and he shot the ball well. And that kind of ended up being the reason why he got that spot. Now, we know they brought in Dario Saric, who's going to be a guy who helps with forward depth, but that's going to be matchup dependent. There are going to be teams out there where you can't afford to have a guy like Dario Saric on the floor with some of his limitations defensively, right? And so what they're hoping for is for one of these forwards to pop. And obviously Moses Moody is like your higher floor, lower ceiling option, right? He's a guy that is a better standstill knockdown three-point shooter than Jonathan Kaminga, but not as good at putting the ball on the floor as Jonathan Kaminga, right? Not as athletic as Jonathan Kaminga. He's a good physical point of attack defender, but he's not as good as Jonathan Kaminga can be when he's at his peak at the perimeter. Jonathan Kaminga's got a little bit of that Andrew Wiggins potential as a as an athletic perimeter defender, right? But in terms of decision-making and, and just what – what he does well that fits alongside the core Warriors players, Moody's been in a better position over the course of the last couple of years. But Jonathan Kaminga is hooping his ass off in preseason. He's averaging 26 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists so far, 55% from the field, 47% from 3 on 6 attempts per game, and 76% from the line. He's converting spot-up possessions at 1.2 points per possession, And his half-court creation metrics have been outstanding. Nine points on eight pick-and-rolls, that's over a point per possession. 13 points on nine isos, that's way over a point per possession. And eight points on six post-ups. That totals at 30 points on 23 possessions against set half-court defenses where he's initiating the action. And he's at 1.3 points per possession. That's outstanding. He's made 10 of his 19 jump shots. He's taken four pull-up jump shots, and he's made three of them. So it's hard to be any better than what Jonathan Kaminga has been so far in preseason. So the next question is, what is replicable from that with the core lineups, right? Because obviously preseason has more of a free-flowing type of feel compared to what you're going to be asking this guy to do in Game 3 against the Lakers in the Western Conference semifinals, right? Like, it's going to be different, right? So I wanted to take a closer look at that. So first of all, the spot-up possessions. Obviously whether it's him in the corner or him cutting along the baseline, which he does pretty well for the most part, he needs to be able to make defenses pay for not guarding him. 1.2 points per spot-up possession so far. That's encouraging. If he can keep that up, that's a big step in that direction. Transition possessions. The Golden State Warriors are constantly hunting transition possessions, which is something they need to do because last year they struggled with half-court offense against the best defenses, right? So, again, the best half-court offenses are never going to be as efficient as an average transition offense. So having guys that can get up and down and run the floor and score is a huge value. Second half of the Kings game the other night, um, he blew by Kevin Herter in semi-transition. He's coming up the left wing, Herter's backpedaling. Herter's just a smaller, less athletic player. And Kaminga just hits him with a hard uh, uh, right-handed dribble, just blows right by him, lays it up on the right side of the rim, right? Like, that's something that he can continue to do even with the core guys. He's had a couple of baskets trailing the play, right? Like, we saw the Gary Payton drop-off pass where uh, Kaminga was, like, floating head above the rim as he laid it in. And then he had that lob dunk in uh, in the Lakers game. These are easy buckets that he can get 
in the flow of the offense without having to command half-court possessions or take the ball away from Steph Curry or do something that he's not going to be able to do in some sort of key postseason environment. That is a legitimate weapon to have, an athlete that can run the floor in transition and score. Um, the matchup attacking, I think, has been really interesting. And again, are they going to run a bunch of Kaminga isos or, or post-ups at the end of a close playoff game? Probably not. But it is a useful weapon over the course of the 82, and if he demonstrates it over the 82, you might see it in bench runs during the playoffs, like late first quarter, early second quarter, late third quarter, early fourth quarter, where you might see Jonathan Kaminga get some opportunities to score. He's just too damn big, strong, and athletic for most of these NBA defenders. And they've done some stuff to make it easy on him, right? Like I've seen, um, especially against the Kings, they had a couple plays where they cleared the side for him. There was that play where he cleared the side against De'Aaron Fox. Uh, it was in the first half. And like he patiently waited for the guys to go get spaced out. And then he literally didn't do anything fancy. He just looked De'Aaron Fox in the face, ripped through to the middle, shouldered him with that left arm, bumped him off, and made an easy floater in the lane. That's easy basketball. De'Aaron Fox is a good defensive player. But that's just a bigger, stronger athlete. There's nothing he can do about that. Then in the second half, same thing. They clear the right side this time. And he's going against Sasha Vizankov. Same thing. Just hard dribble towards the left. Vizankov cuts him off because he anticipated the move. But there's just no way in hell he's going to be able to hang with him on the counter move. Hard dribble, spin, all the way to the basket. Easy layup at the rim. A layup he's going to literally make 100% of the time. That's the type of physical advantage he brings to the table. Second half against uh, Alex Len. He gets him on a switch. They're spaced out in five-out spacing. He doesn't even have a cleared side, but he just beats Alex Len with a really quick dribble to the left hand in a layup. And then I know I know you guys all remember the first Lakers game, the very first preseason game when he hit that uh, uh, spin move against Torian Prince in the lane for the N1. He's just, he just has such a physical advantage that there's there's points there. And the Warriors, again, they're, they're, they're putting him in positions where he has significant physical advantages and where he's got good spacing, meaning they're either clearing the side or, or making his reads easy. Why is clearing the side important? Because then you don't have to worry about help from one side of the court. You can just face the other side. A lot of young players and guys that you know aren't accustomed to being floor generals are not as good at kind of digesting everything that's happening on the court. So clear aside for him. You take away half of his decision-making process and you make things easier for him. And then lastly, he's using his gifts. He's not taking dumb fadeaways. He's not settling. He is being physically aggressive towards the basket and elevating over the top of guys for easy shots. Now, the question is, what will be the keys for him to uh, crack the playoff rotation to get more minutes than guys like Dario Saric or Moses Moody? Because here's the thing. Like, Moses Moody, to me, is that higher floor, lower ceiling option, right? Like, he, he's going to be more consistent in all likelihood. Dario Saric, I would argue, even higher floor, right? Because he's just a veteran who's been in a lot of uh, – he's just played a lot more basketball, right? So, obviously, the floor is higher for those guys. But unquestionably, the ceiling is higher for Kaminga. There's a universe where if he gets 18 minutes a game in the playoffs, that he could have a 20-point game or two. That's the type of ceiling that he has that a guy like Moses Moody doesn't have. But in order to crack the rotation, he's got to be sharp in some specific areas. He has to defend on the perimeter at the same level that Andrew Wiggins does, which is something he's more than capable of. He has to shoot the ball close to as well as he has in the preseason. That's something he's capable of. But most importantly, he has to consistently make good decisions. That's the big pet peeve. For the Warriors, ball stopping, missing that extra pass to one of their shooters, lack of attention to detail and transition defense, help defense, things along those lines. Those are those areas where Kaminga has to be sharp throughout the season in order to uh, earn that spot in the playoff rotation. Now, no matter what, I think it's plainly visible to all of us that this kid's going to be a star. It's just a matter of when. The tools are too insane. The leaps that he's making on a season-by-season -season basis with his a specific skill set, is it, it, you, can't, you can't deny it at this point. It's, it might take another four or five years, but I, I think Jonathan Kaminga has all-star in his future. For a limited time, Verizon customers can get Netflix and NFL Plus for just $25 a month with Plus Play. That's $120 of annual savings. Plus Play is a platform where Verizon customers can shop, manage, and save on subscriptions you already love, like Netflix and NFL Plus. With NFL Plus Premium, you get access to live games on mobile, NFL Red Zone, NFL Network, and more. 
Just go to verizon.com forward slash plus play to bundle and save on Netflix and NFL Plus today for a limited time only. The NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweeter offer every game day this October. There are eight games this weekend that have point spreads that are either three or smaller than three. Lots of good betting opportunities for you guys to take advantage of. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code HOOPS, H-O-O-P-S, only on the DraftKings Sportsbook app, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. All right, let's move on to Victor Wembenyama. So far in two preseason games, Wemby is scoring at a rate of 37 points per 36 minutes on 64% shooting. Now, why do I say per 36? Because in preseason, you're playing limited shifts, and the average NBA player is going to play around 36 minutes per game during the course of the regular season. Maybe the Spurs limit him down to 32 or 34 or something like that. But I like per 36 because it's a way to take small sample size stuff like, oh, here's a bench big. Let's see how he would produce in a bigger role. Oh, here's a, a preseason shift. How would this look over the course of a full regular season game, right? Like that's why I use per 36. So Wembenyama is scoring at a rate of 37 points per 36 minutes. He's also at 3.4 blocks and 1.7 steals per 36 minutes. That's 5.1 stocks, which is steals plus box put together. That's insane. And, and, and the crazy part is he hasn't even functioned like a big man, like I expected him to for the most part. He had a couple of pick-and-pop reps against the Heat. But for the most part, he's acting like a scoring wing, which I did not see coming, coming into the season. I thought for sure that Popovich would kind of repurpose him into a textbook, you know, pick and pop scoring big and get him a lot of advantage situations. And I'm sure he still will do a lot of that over the course of his career. I just figured his scoring polish would be kind of not quite ready to be used as a wing, but I couldn't have been more wrong about that so far through preseason. He made 10 of his 15 shots against the Heat the other night. And those 10 makes included a pull-up jumper at the foul line coming off of a dribble handoff. That's a wing move. A step-back jumper from the elbow in transition, that's a wing move. A face-up jumper off of an Iverson cut, that's a wing move. A lob dunk off of a give-and-go, one of the craziest plays I've ever seen. Give-and-go from the wing, just points to the rim, the guard just throws it up, and he just catches it with two hands and dunks it. It was one of the most ridiculous basketball plays I've ever seen. And then we had a transition pick-and-roll where Chetty Osman sets the ball screen 40 feet from the basket. He gets into the screen defender, hits an in-and-out between the legs, step-back jump shot. And then on a pick-and-pop, he had a jab step, driving left, hard uh, dribble with his left hand spinning into a left shoulder fade. These are all super high-level wing scoring plays. And here's the thing. Again, I thought he was going to be a big man who slowly learned how to shoot at a high level and how to score from the wing at a high level. If he's just going to come into the league and be a stretched out Kevin Durant from day one, we need to recalibrate everything about what this kid can be. Because that's the hard stuff. When he's on good basketball teams, there's going to be easy stuff. The pick and pops. He had a wide open pick and pop three against Miami. He had the, the left shoulder fade. That was attacking a closeout out of a pick and pop. He's going to have lots of advantage situations. That crazy left-handed dunk he had over Thomas Bryant, where Thomas Bryant like looked over at the sideline like, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? Which, by the way, is one of my favorite NBA clips ever. That needs to be in the Wembenyama documentary 25 years from now. It's just Thomas Bryant looking over like, what am I supposed to do, guys? You know. Um, but that's off. that was off of a drop-off to the dunker spot. Someone else was driving. He's standing there in the dunker spot. He gets the ball, and he just takes the dribble and goes up and finishes. He's going to get lots of easy stuff in his NBA career, especially when he starts playing alongside players that are at least nearby his caliber, right? But like, if he's already got the hard stuff, that's just like rescue possessions and you know, uh, uh, like late game, slow down, half court situations where that stuff becomes vitally important. Those are ceiling razors. 
when he actually gets to a point where the game is super easy for him, that stuff will just push him to the next level of impact. But to put it simply, he is way, way, way more polished and way, way closer to that wing score archetype level of, of skill than I would expect him to be at this point. I thought we'd see flashes. We saw flashes, right? We saw flashes in Europe. We saw him hit a one-leg pull-up three. We saw him take crazy uh, off-the-dribble jump shots. But like, we never anticipated that he'd be able to come into the NBA and then just immediately score at that rate, at that level of efficiency. And again, it's just preseason, but like, I, it's hard not to be excited at this point. We're not seeing flashes. We're seeing a super confident score at this point. So far, he's at 58% in effective field goal percentage on jump shots overall. He's made five of his seven pull-up jump shot attempts. He's nine for nine at the rim. And he's at nine points on seven post-ups and isos, which is well over a point per possession. It's hard to get off to a much better stop than, start than that. And again, guys, like, don't under, underestimate the defensive impact there. 5.1 stocks, steals plus blocks, per 36 minutes. That's insane. Jaron Jackson led the league in stocks per game last year at four, a little under four. Like, like, we're talking about an unprecedented ability to disrupt NBA offenses with deflections and steals and blocks. This is, it's, it's not normal. And it's honestly funny looking back at the Summer League now because you remember how everybody reacted after that first Victor Wembanyama game? And those of you guys who listen to the show, do you remember what I said then? I, I said... This is not what it's going to look like when he's playing on a real NBA roster. It's going to be a lot easier for him. And I mean, how, how stupid does that all look now? The people that said, oh, it's just another bull bull. How does that look now? Like, again, I tried to get people not to overthink it because like, this isn't a guy that, that only showed potential in workouts or anything like that. He was a very, very good player playing against grown ass men last year. Professionally. If I'm not mistaken, his team made it to the championship. I think they lost in the finals. So, like, again, like, it, 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 there's a lot more that's proven about Victor than we thought. But he's also proving to be even better than we thought at the same time. And um, I, I hope everybody gets on board with it pretty quickly. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. eBay Motors is here for the ride. You know what I remember about my first car? Is that the moment I got it, I wanted to improve it. Because like most 16-year-old kids, you don't exactly get a luxury automobile. So you look at it, you go, well, I need to add some speakers. I need to tint out the windows. I need to make this thing the coolest car possible so I can cruise around town with all my buddies, waving at the babes, and enjoy myself. So my favorite part of car culture when I was young was definitely the subwoofers in the back of the car. And uh, we built the boxes from scratch had multiple 12-inch subs, and you could hear me coming from a long, long way away. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride 
the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, moving on to our season preview for the Milwaukee Bucks. So our off-season recap, they lost Grayson Allen, John Carter, Goran Dragic, Drew Holiday, Joe Ingles, Myers Leonard, and Wesley Matthews. They added Malik Beasley, Robin Lopez, Campaign, Ty Ty Washington, a backup guard for the Rockets last year. Drew Timmy is a, a Milwaukee Buck. And Damian Lillard, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Their depth chart as of right now, uh, Damian Lillard, Pat Connaughton, Malik Beasley, Campaign, and Ty Ty Washington at guard. At Ford, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Marjan Beauchamp, Jay Crowder, Bobby Portis, depending on who you ask, and then Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez, and Drew Timmy. Now, why was the Damian Lillard trade the right move? And before I frame this, I want to talk about like kind of the devil's advocate case against it, right? Because there were there were some you know galaxy brain people out there trying to overthink it, and the case was basically you give up Grayson Allen in the deal, who's a starting NBA two guard. And he was particularly important to the Bucks last year because not only was he an outstanding spot-up player, but he specifically was very good at deep above the break threes. So, like, you could position him on the left wing or on the right wing, like 25, 26 feet away from the basket, and he was going to pull that defender away from digging down because he could consistently knock that shot down. So he was pretty important, right? And then, obviously, you give up your best and most versatile perimeter defender in Drew Holiday, Right. And a guy who was a huge part of their defensive identity when they won the title in 2021. I'd argue he was their second most important defensive player, right? So, like, that that's the devil's advocate case. You give up that depth at the starting two-guard spot and you give up your defensive identity. But here's the harsh truth. And this is, again, like, I talk all the time about uh, NBA front offices and being honest with what your predicament is. Even above and beyond wins and losses. Because, like... Whatever happened last year, it doesn't necessarily, you know, uh, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with what your current predicament is, right? So, like, you won the title in 2021, and it's completely legitimate, but that doesn't mean that your next title is going to look like that. It might have to look different, right? And see, here's the thing. You won your title in 2021 off the strength of your defensive identity, but every playoff defeat outside of that over the last five years has come down to the same thing every single time. Half-court offense. Getting stuck in the half-court against a better half-court shot creator on the other team and not being able to score. Like, again, like there was some hope, especially after 2021 when he had the, the, the free-throw shooting performance in Game 6 in the finals. There was some hope that Giannis would polish up as a scorer, Right? and polish up as a free throw shooter, and that would fix the half-court offense issues. But instead, the opposite is, is happening. Giannis dropped back below 65% from the foul line last year. It was his worst market from the foul line since 2020. And last year, on shot attempts outside of the restricted area, Giannis was 171 for 560. That's 30.5%. He doesn't even have a reliable hook shot. He only made 13 all season last year. On 35%, and he was 2 for 7 in the playoffs. And this is not a young player anymore. He's been in the league 10 seasons. He's going into his 11th season. So that ship has sailed. And that's what I mean by self-awareness and acknowledging problems in the front office. You have to to acknowledge the reality of your specific situation. Self-awareness is the only pathway to identifying your flaws and making whatever changes need to be made so that you can be better off in the long run, Right? And it's clear to me the Dame trade signifies the Bucks front office acknowledging Giannis is never going to become that guy. He's never going to be the guy who's going to be able to out-execute the best superstars in the league in the half-court offensively. So that's why it's worth giving up your two-guard. That's why it's worth giving up your defensive identity. If you can take the biggest flaw in Giannis's game and turn it into something that's actually a strength for your team. Again, you won the title in 2021. It was legit. As legit as any title in NBA history. I'm not undercutting it, but let's talk about what happened. You faced an injury-riddled Nets team, right? With James Harden on a bad hamstring and Kyrie Irving out of the lineup. You faced the Atlanta Hawks, who were a good basketball team, but not your typical conference finalist, right? And then you faced a Suns team in the final that did not have a a top 10 player on the roster. So that defensive identity 
was good enough to overcome those circumstances. But usually in NBA history, you have to face one of those top-tier shot creators. You have to face a LeBron. You have to face a Steph. You have to face a Jokic. You have to face a Luka. That's usually the kind of guy you have to face in those settings, right? You lost in 2019 to a Raptors team that had a better half-court offense. You lost in 2020 to a Miami Heat team that had a better half-court offense. 2022, I would say it was mostly the Chris Middleton injury, but chances are they would have run into Steph and had the exact same problem, a half-court offense that can't compete with what Steph can do, right? And then in lo- you lost in 2023 because of your half-court offense once again. The Bucks notched a clutch net rating of minus 53.8 in their two losses against the Miami Heat that involved clutch situations. They had a 77 offensive rating in those situations. They couldn't score. Time and time again, that's been the issue. And again, it doesn't take away from the title. The title is the title is the title. But if you look at the five-year window, it's been four losses at the hands of of half-court shot creation or an injury that would have eventually lost because of half-court shot creation, and then your title in the middle where you didn't have to face one of those teams. So I think it was the right decision to understand the limitations of this roster and to make a move that puts your team in a better chance to compete at a year-in, year-out basis. Because had you run it back, the only way you're winning is if all of the top-tier shot creators somehow get knocked out. And you end up running into some team like Minnesota in the finals, which just isn't going to happen, right? So I, I, thought this was the, I thought this was the right decision. Giannis, in my opinion, is by far the best player in the world if you remove that slow-down half-court environment, Right? Like, he's top five defense player in the world. By far the best transition player in the world. He's a very, very good passer. He does all these things exceedingly well. But but he just can't make shots over the top of the defense, right? And so, like, that that's where that's where that limitation... And, and again, like, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton were good players. But they were never consistently good enough to overcome that. Now, will they have defensive questions to answer with Dame? Of course. But now at the very least, when they end up in these slow-down half-court environments against the best shot creators in the league, they have one of the top-tier guys in the league, too, in that situation. Not to mention, in just in general, throughout the whole season and throughout the entire playoff run, you've just given a much better offensive firepower to your offense that will make Giannis's job easier, that will allow him to devote more resources to what he's best at which is dominating games on the defensive end of the floor, which is being that freight train in transition that nobody can stop. Do you remember in that Celtics series in 2022 how tired Giannis looked at the end? And he still almost won it. Imagine what, uh, imagine what he can do as a wrecking ball in games when Dame can take two-thirds of those offensive slow-down half-court possessions. Then we have the natural synergy of the Dame-Giannis two-man game. And I want to dive into this concept for a little bit because I think it's, it's you know, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people have talked about how it's going to be impossible to guard, including myself. But I wanted to dive into it schematically for a little bit. And, you know, it, 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 to me, it comes down to getting dribble penetration and getting teams into rotation. Like I said at the very beginning of the show, getting a defense in rotation is kind of the theme of this show. And the reason why is because it's just an easier way to play basketball. Think of it simply, okay? I'm guarding you. You're where the camera is. If I'm just standing here, ready to go, sitting in a defensive stance with my hand up, it's going to be a lot harder for you to score than if I'm 10 feet further back and I'm sprinting at you full speed in a closeout, right? That's pretty simple concept, right? But the only way you were going to get that situation is if one of your other offensive players at the beginning of the possession, when the defense is set, can draw a help defender. Because once you draw the help defender, that's what leaves you open, which allows me to make that pass. And from there, the defense is in rotation. You pump fake and beat me off the dribble. Now you engage another help defender, which leaves another open player, right? And then you can drive and kick until you get the right shot, which is going to be a wide open three or a layup or a dunk at the basket, right? But the only way you can get a defense in rotation is to get dribble penetration. And again, dribble penetration does not have to be me beating my guy off the dribble, right? And we know Giannis can do that. But there are other ways to generate dribble penetration. What if you just beat someone back door, right? 
standing on the sideline, guys overplaying the passing lane, I cut back door. You hit me with a bouncing pa- a bounce pass, I'm going to draw a help defender, right? And then a big one is slipping ball screens. Come to set a ball screen, then I slip to the basket, you throw the ball over the top. If to, if both defenders are behind me, you're going to have to send a help defender. Now you're in rotation. So you can find opportunities to get the defense in rotation without having to say, Giannis beat this guy off the dribble, right? And so that's where the the Damian Lillard-Giannis two-man game comes into the picture. It creates advantage situations. And it's just way easier to play basketball that way when you have an advantage versus when defenses are set. This is why every defense tries to guard ISOs one-on-one, tries to guard post-ups one-on-one, tries to guard pick and roll and dribble handoffs two on two, tries to guard Spain pick and roll and other three-man actions three on three. They do that because they're trying to stay out of rotation because they know if they're in rotation, they're going to give up open threes, they're going to give up open layups, and they're going to give up offensive rebounds because guys aren't matched up. I talked about that at the beginning of the show, but that uh, uh, um, first Damian Lillard Giannis pick and roll, they got the wide open three for Jay Crowder at the beginning of the Laker game. It was a missed three, but Brooke Lopez ended up breaking open for the offensive rebound because the Lakers were in trend, uh, in rotation and they weren't matched up. Getting your defense into getting the opponent's defense into rotation is the key to any offensive success. And so this is where that two man game comes into a, a, a comes into the um, the picture. So let's talk about all the different ways. And when I say two-man game, it could look a bunch of different ways, right? Like it could be a Dame Giannis pick and roll where Giannis just simply comes up and sets a ball screen. It could be a dribble handoff. It could be off of a wide pin down, right? Like it could just be Brooks standing at the top of the key, Dame in the corner, Giannis at the elbow, Giannis goes down and sets a screen for Dame coming off. Any form of two-man game involving those two will put you in the same predicament. First is a let's talk about the different defensive coverages you could run against the, uh, this action and what would happen if you did, right? So first of all, if you run a deep drop coverage, right? Meaning or we also call this a no roller behind coverage, meaning the big man, the screen defender in the pick and roll has to keep both the roller and the ball handler in front of him. So if the roller is rolling hard, he's backing up with him. In that kind of coverage, what's going to happen with Damian Lillard? He's going to come off of these ball screens and he's going to hit a bunch of pull-up threes, pull-up twos, and floaters. And again, the vast majority of guys in the league, you live with that. With Drew Holiday, you live with that. He's not going to make enough of them. He's not going to make enough pull-up threes. He's not going to make enough floaters. He's not going to make enough 15-footers, right? But Dame is like one of just a small handful of guys that it's like, if we give him these shots, he's not just going to make them. He's going to make them at an untenable rate, meaning he's going to be scoring 1.2, 1.3 points per possession when you run a, a deep drop coverage against him. That's not tenable. You will lose playoff series that way. So that's option one. That doesn't work. Now, the upside there is your defense stays out of rotation, and that might end up being the best way to guard them for the simple fact that maybe Dame gets tired and he misses shots. But that's suicide. You're not going to see a lot of teams run deep drop against Portland or Portland against Milwaukee for that reason. So that's option one. Option two is switching. Theoretically, they run a two-man game. You switch the action. Now they have to ISO or post up, right? If you switch properly and you prevent them from slipping. Here's the problem. This isn't LeBron and AD. The LeBron and AD pick and roll, everyone's like, oh, LeBron and AD pick and roll. It's going to be so hard to guard. It has never been that damaging over the entire era. Why? Because who do you guard LeBron with? A big, strong forward that can slide his feet. Who do you guard Anthony Davis with? A big, strong forward that can slide his feet. So you could switch and it's more or less the same type of advantage, right? But the the type of guy you need to guard Dame is extremely different from the type of guy you need to guard Giannis. You need a big, strong forward who moves his feet well to guard Giannis. You need a quick nimble athlete with long arms to guard Dame. And that quick, nimble athlete is going to get pulverized in the post by Giannis. And that big, strong forward that moves his feet well is going to get absolutely barbecued by Damian Lillard. And it's either going to be 
Giannis catching in the post, an immediate double team, which gets your defense in rotation. Or it's going to be Dame beating his man off the dribble, the big man off the dribble, which is going to get your defense in rotation. Or you can force Dame to take step back threes by giving him space, which he's going to make at such a high rate, it's untenable anyway. Because he's one of the small handful of guys in the league that you can't afford to give that shot to. So switching, not going to work. Last is any sort of aggressive pick-and-roll coverage. So a high drop where you're dropping but you're way up at the level of the screen or a show where you actually come out above the level of the screen to stop the guard from turning the corner and then you recover back or any sort of blitz or trap. And that's where both guys just double-team and actually force Dame to get rid of the basketball. In any of those situations, Dame has been facing that coverage forever because he's been playing with lower-quality role men than Giannis over the years. And so it's been smart for teams to blitz and trap and high, high hedge and, and to show uh, um, to high drop against Dame, right? And so he knows how to make the over-the-top pass or the pocket pass to Giannis barreling down the basket. And now you put yourself in a predicament where if – and we saw this a bunch with the Lakers with Christian Wood, right? If Christian Wood's going to do a hedge or a high show or, or, a, or a high drop, that means Giannis is rolling behind him. Now when that pass is made, you have D'Angelo Russell and Christian Wood on Damian Lillard 25 feet from the basket. Now Giannis is barreling down the hill, running a four on three. And in a lot of cases, his roll gravity is so crazy, he'll pull multiple defenders, which he literally did against the Lakers. There were multiple pick and rolls where there were multiple wide open shooters. That's the predicament they put you in. Oh, and Giannis is one of the best rim finishers in the league and one of the best passers for his position. So to put it simply, there is no defensive strategy that can successfully guard the Giannis Dame pick and roll without either conceding a jump shot to one of the best jump shooters in the history of the NBA or putting your defense into rotation, which allows the other team to play, which allows your offense to play with an advantage the entire game. So in short, everyone is screwed. I literally can't, if I was coaching against the Bucks. Your best bet is to find the very best point of attack defender on your roster. Put him on Dame and pray to God he misses. That's a tough spot to be in. You run a deeper drop, take away those four on threes, take away those roll man possessions, and you pray he misses. It's, it's just, it's probably not going to work. But there's some questions about this Bucks roster, so let's dig into them a little bit. Can the Bucs piece together a functional rotation around those two guys? The first question is the two-guard spot. This was the Grayson Allen spot. We talked about it earlier, but his, he was a deadly spot-up threat, um, and specifically with deep three-point shooting and the value that brought. So in the Laker game, they started Malik Beasley. I covered him with the Lakers last year. He's just not very good. He's uh, uh, He was out of the rotation for the Lakers after the Grizzlies series. He's, an, he's a really aggressive shooter that just doesn't really make shots. And he doesn't attack closeouts really well because he can't put the ball on the floor and he doesn't have a mid-range game. He converted 104 spot-up opportunities for the Lakers last year into just 75 points. That's 0.72 points per possession. And trust me, they were pretty damn good looks as teams were loading up on LeBron and AD and Austin and D'Lo and all those guys. He was also one of the worst defenders on the Lakers last year. Now, he did shoot much better a couple years ago. So maybe he gets to the point where he shoots better. But again, the defense and rebounding limitations... I think make him not a great option. The second option is Pat Connaughton. And he had a down shooting year last year, but even despite of that, he still converted spot up possessions at 1.05 points per possession, which is solid. And if you go back two years, the 2022 season, he was one of the best spot up players in the league. Shot 60% in effective field goal percentage on catch and shoot jump shots. He converted spot up possessions at 1.16 points per possession, which is outstanding. Now, he's not as athletic as Malik Beasley, but he is a little bigger and a little stronger. He's a better rebounder, and he's a more committed and smarter team defender. So I think in the long run, unless they make a trade for a two-guard, I think Pat Connaughton is actually the better option to go in that spot. I don't think you can go with campaign because then you're way too small. So Pat Connaughton, to me, feels like the guy who inevitably ends up starting at the two in the long run. The second question is depth, and I'm not super concerned here. Campaign is a perfectly fine backup guard. He's actually one of the best guards in the league at generating dribble penetration, which we just talked about for a while, how important that is. He's just so damn fast. Guys can't keep him in front. Uh, Malik Beasley, again, for all his flaws, perfectly fine as a backup guard. Marjan Beauchamp has looked pretty good in preseason so far. 
Uh, Jay Crowder is perfectly fine as a backup four, right? And those, the, both of those guys kind of are the different archetypes, right? Jay Crowder, the bigger, stronger four. Marjan, the longer, more athletic forward, right? And then Robin Lopez and Bobby Portis are a perfectly fine backup front court, right? So I don't necessarily worry too much about their depth. Obviously, they can't withhold a season full of injuries, but there's not a whole lot of teams in the league that can. Uh, the biggest question is their playoff rotation, right? Like you got to have at least eight guys that you can trust. Well, you got four right away. Giannis, Dame, Chris, and Brooke. There's four. Pat, I've seen him play a role in a playoff team. I think he can be fine. I, th- I thought he played really well for the 2022 Bucks. Uh, so you really just need three more out of Jay Crowder, Bobby Portis, who I think both of them will be fine. That's seven. So you really just need one of campaign Malik Beasley or Marjan Beauchamp to, to uh, pop before the end of the season and or to find someone in the trade or buyout market, right? So, like, again, I, I, I you need injury luck. But NBA history tells us you need injury luck anyway to win the title. So I'm not overly concerned about their depth. Um, The only real question mark that has me somewhat concerned about this team is their point of attack defense. They have the star talent. They have the shooting. um, They have the defensive foundation of Giannis and Brooke in the front court. But they are not a good perimeter defense team on paper. Um, You know, like if you face... There are certain teams that it might not matter against. Like if you face Miami tomorrow in the playoffs, you're fine with Chris Middleton guarding Jimmy Butler. None of those other guards are going to hurt you enough for it to matter. But specific matchups, teams like Cleveland, multiple shot creators in the backcourt, right? Teams like Boston are loaded with shot creation, right? Like uh, Philly has a a little bit of that uh, with uh, Tyrese Maxey and James Harden potentially, right? Teams in the Western Conference, they could see in the finals. Teams like you know, Golden State, teams like Denver, they're, uh, teams like Phoenix. There are a lot of teams that are going to have a lot of, of perimeter options that they can go at the Bucks with. And so that, that, that's going to be the one thing that I'm going to have to look at with them over the course of the season and whether or not that could be a problem. And again, like we talked about that defensive rotation concept, that goes both ways. If your point of attack defenders are giving up too easy dribble penetration, then your defense is in rotation all the time, which can be a problem. But here's where I'm at with it. I think you can guard Cleveland just like New York did, right? Because of the Evan Mobley, Jared Allen problem, a guy like Brooke Lopez is going to be able to kind of split that difference and and guard both of those guys as Evan Mobley's rolling down to the basket. So I'm not too worried about Cleveland. Uh, I know I know they brought in some shooting, but it's the front court that I think makes them easy to guard. Miami's not going to hit enough pull-up jump shots, not unless they make a trade. Philly, I don't think, is going to hit enough pull-up jump shots. Boston, I mean, I think they have enough aggregate ball handling to really spread the Bucks out and cause some problems, but their execution is so sloppy. I, I never trust their offense to really be a weapon at that phase. It's the West where I really start to get concerned. Team like teams like Denver, teams like Golden State, teams like Phoenix that have a ton of pull up shooting, a ton of perimeter talent. Those are the teams that are going to be able to pull Brooke Lopez and pull Giannis away from the rim and get them into rotation. But again, those dynamics play both ways, right? Like. If, if you've got a, a, a team that's able to stretch the Bucks out, they're going to be doing the same thing to you on the other end with Damon pick and roll. So, again, it goes both ways. I, I just think it's something that's worth mentioning. You know, Pat Connaughton, Malik Beasley, Damian Lillard, Marjan Beauchamp, that, that's a, a Jay Crowder at this phase in his career. Chris Middleton's a pretty good point of attack defender, but he's not great. So, like, that's going to be a limitation for them. And, you know, even against a team like Boston, you're going to have to ask Giannis to guard one of the Jason, either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. So they're definitely not going to be as good as they were defensively last year. And, I mean, as far as predictions go for this season, that's where I have to start because I do think that the Bucks will go down a level in the regular season. Like, I think the Celtics are going to run away with the one seed. I bet you they have about a five-game lead over everybody when it's all said and done. They just aren't as good defensively and aren't as deep, the Bucks which I think is going to hurt them over the course of the regular season. But at the end of the day, you combine, you shrink the rotation, you combine the Giannis-Dame factor in a playoff series. I just I just trust them a tiny bit more to generate higher quality shots than Boston over the course of a seven-game series, which is going to be a slow-down, knock-down, drag-out fight of a series, right? And I also expect Giannis to be much more devastating in the margins of the game without the offensive workload he had to carry in the past. 
So that's where I'm at with the Bucks right now. I think they're going to win the Eastern Conference. They're my pick to win the East. But as of right now, I'm going with the Denver Nuggets at number one in my power rankings. I think they're the team that has proven it, obviously, most recently. But I, I, they got the best player in the world, the best offense in the world, the most unguardable offense in the world. I'm going with the Nuggets for right now. We'll do a full season preview on them later this week. All right, moving on to the mailbag. We have two questions today. First is from Alejandro. Last year, you were very high on James Harden's revenge season, but now after his performance last playoffs, you no longer trust his ability to contribute to a team in the playoffs. What was the last straw and why? Last season. First of all, great question, Alejandro, but that's the, that's the reason. If there was a season where James would finally pop in the playoffs, it was last year. Why? No longer the best player on his team, so Harden or Embiid's getting the lion's share of the defensive coverages and attention, right? The pressure's off of him as well. And he looked better in the regular season. Like he looked in shape and like it looked like the best version of James Harden that could have existed within that age of his career, right? And he still was atrocious in the playoffs outside of two games. So it's hard for me to believe that another year is going to suddenly fix that problem. The, the, the reality is, is the stuff that he does, specifically his rim finishing tanked in the postseason, and, and, but also timely turnovers and decision-making like always. So, like, again, like, if, it, if there was a year where it would have come together for him, it was last year, and it didn't happen, which leaves me utterly discouraged regardless of what happens for James Harden this season as to what he could potentially accomplish in this postseason. All right, last mailbag question. This one's from Nelson. How'd you settle on PRS guitars as your brand of choice? Which one do you use the most and why? So, uh, I, I got into PRS from the standpoint of, like, learning of its existence through dead and company and John Mayer. Right. Uh, John was playing this guy right here was playing the, uh, that's the, uh, what they call the super Eagle. It was a custom guitar that they made. I, I think I want to say they were charging like 20 grand for them, but they only made like a hundred of them, I think. And it was like kind of this cool custom guitar. It was a semi hollow. It had these, this three pickup setup. It was supposed to mimic, um, Jerry Garcia's, uh, guitars that he was using it also had a preamp built into it like a treble boost um and these like vintage these vintage style pickups that what they call their 58 15s and i just fell in love with this guitar but obviously i was never going to be able to get uh, a twenty thousand dollar guitar um so i just started looking into prs it's funny because i always look at sales as like a two-pronged approach like you got to have something that catches people's attention and then you have to have the long form sales pitch, which is like, okay, now I have your attention. Let me tell you why, uh, you know, using our product is best. And so obviously John Mayer got my initial attention to the guitar. I just thought it looked really cool. I thought I liked the birds on the neck. I loved the way it sounded when he was playing it. And so then I started doing research and they are made in Maryland and their quality control is just legendary. Every piece of the guitar, when they finish the, the, the guitar tech who's working that piece has to initial in a part that's invisible. They have to initial that piece so that if like this guitar had an issue and I sent it back, they would literally disassemble it and they would be able to basically hold the person accountable for, for making that particular mistake. So they have really high level quality control. Um, in general, it just, it, it, I felt like a real passion from this, from the whole company in their overall quality and their guitar making and then I've really been a fan of their the the curly maple stuff that they do. So this is a um, what they call a CE24. So this is one of their lower level pieces of wood. Uh, but you could just see this like beautiful like kind of like striations in the maple. And all they do is uh, uh, stain it, and it pulls out all those lines, which gives you like that tiger stripe. Um, and then this one above here, this one above me here, this is the uh, um, the hollow body two piezo. It's a whole thing because it does the uh, acoustic sound out of the bridge uh but this is a 10 top so this is one of their higher quality pieces of wood and it's just this beautiful uh maple you can see in there um throughout but it and it has that kind of like a uh, black color behind it which i think is really pretty but uh so i've always been drawn to their craftsmanship but they're also just beautiful sounding guitars and so uh I, these are the two that i have the ce24 this is like their modern pickup this is actually the guitar that i think is the best for the price from prs because you save money with a little bit of the cheaper wood and then they do a bolt-on neck and they do a maple neck and then they do a steel bridge. So it's got some cheaper components, but the key components are just as good. It's still a solid piece of mahogany. 
this is still their top tier pickups. Uh, their, uh, I think it's called 8515. So you can get this guitar for like, I think right around like 2,500 bucks, but that's a, uh, uh, that's, a all the electronic equipment that you get from a $5,000 guitar in something half as expensive. So that was after I did a bunch of research, I had a bunch of cheaper guitars. I'm surrounded by guitars in here. So like I had, when I first started playing, I was using Epiphone a lot. Um, so I've got an SG and an Les Paul over here that are Epiphone, but they're just, I was, I was ready to get a real guitar. And so that was when I saved up and got that one. Um, Really, again, really good price point. This one, I just really wanted uh, a, the vintage sound, and then I wanted to be able to play acoustic, and so this one does both of those. This guitar is really, really cool. Um, like, literally, you can plug in. See how there's two ports on it? So that port is just for the acoustic, and then this is for both. And then there's a switch, and you can actually blend the two sounds together. So you can get, like, a bunch of really cool sounds out of this. And then, in my opinion, the, uh, the 5815 uh, vintage pickups are just unbelievable sounding. Um but the one downside with that one is the with the way that it's set up, it's a little harder to reach the top of the neck. So ironically, this is the easiest guitar for me to play and just in terms of like uh, mobility with my hands. But I think this one sounds the best. So I kind of alternate through and like I have a Fender Stratocaster that's behind the camera. Um, those of you guys who play guitar know like there's super unique sounds that you get from every guitar type, right? Like there's th these PRSs like this, this PRS, I can actually pop this tone knob out, which turns this into a single coil. But the single coil sound that the, the, the PRSs make when you pop the knob are not even remotely close to what a Stratocaster sounds like. You know, like you just can't replicate a Stratocaster neck pickup or like neck middle or treble middle, right? Or uh, like you just can't. You, you can't beat those very, very unique Stratocaster sounds. So, like, I kind of rotate through based on what mood I'm in, right? And, and, but, uh, um, again, that's just a hobby of mine. It's not something I take nearly as seriously as basketball. I'd, I'd say it's, uh, like, in a, a very, very clear second place. But it is something that I love to do for fun. Um, great question, Nelson. Thank you, Alejandro, as well. Don't forget to keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments. Does not have to be related to basketball. I actually think it's fun to occasionally talk about something different. As always, I appreciate you guys for supporting the show, and I will see you tomorrow for some more preseason break. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug right, needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. <laughs> you can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Oh, oh, oh. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.